He will sometimes have to hold us while we pummel away at him with our little fists. And then when we're sort of spent, we just have to realize that he has our best interests in heart because he's a father. Stories stir the soul. Stories reveal. And stories heal. In this podcast, we will give you an inside look at someone who's had a life-changing breakthrough. Real people, real stories with real breakthroughs. As a health and wellness expert and coach and Todd as a men's mentor, we've seen firsthand what God can do when it comes to a breakthrough. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough. I'm Wendy Pett. I'm Todd Isburner. Yes, and today we're on a tough topic. Yes, actually. it's about mental illness. Yeah, and, uh, it's a reality for so many. Well, I, we didn't realize this, but you know, one in four people are affected by mental illness of some kind. It's like the, it, you know somebody, maybe somebody in your family who has struggled with mental right. illness. Which means that we are all you know, kind of dealing with someone with mental illness. I mean, it's not just the, the person that we know we are dealing with it as well, right? Yes. Because we have to know how to uh, love that person and and handle that person and have hope. Well, I think that's where a lot of us feel helpless and right. we'd like to have more. We'd just like to know more about yeah. what we need to do and how we do it. And most importantly, yeah, how do we maintain hope? hope? Yeah, hope. And that's what our guest today is going to specialize in. Uh, he is one of the most tender-hearted men I think I've ever you encountered. You are in for a treat. And I understand yeah. why with the level of suffering uh, and pain that he had to endure. His name is Cristobal Crusen, who was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. And he was a third of four children. And early in life, uh, he showed this keen interest in the literature cherishing the ambition that one day he would become a writer. Yeah. And so he entered Harvard University excuse me, let me say that again. He entered Harvard University in 1971, majoring in English literature, intent on making his mark as a poet and a novelist, a growing interest in photography and filmmaking. However, uh, this led him to transfer to New York University, where he changed majors and graduated with a BFA in film and television in 1976. And then he later attended Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. And that's where he received his MFA in film in 1989. And aren't you glad he did that? Because oh, he's, he's made some great he movies. He is talented, gifted, uh, yes. Chris founded Messenger Films in uh, 1988, and he's worked as a writer, director of uh, film and television ever since then. And has uh, just done a whole bunch of productions in yeah. 20 different countries. Uh, he's best known for a film called Final Solution and another one, More Than Dreams, and another one, Undaunted. And there's another list of that goes on and on. Yeah. And, uh, and his latest one, Let Me Have My Son. Yeah, this is sort of the, sh- the shining masterpiece that he's put together. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. It's a, it's a personal uh uh, passion of his to get this one out there. But anyway, working in multiple languages as a filmmaker, uh, Chris is known for a poetic visual style and the ability to draw intimate performances from actors. Above all, he is a storyteller and he delights uh, in engaging his audience while addressing the deepest needs of the human heart. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome, Chris Cruzen, to your biggest breakthrough. We are delighted to have you, truly. Yeah, and uh, great to hear. We're kind of neighbors. We live we in the same state. Yeah, that's that's 
a very pleasant surprise. <laughs> yes, it is. Who else uh, is our neighbor? Not very many people because it's so cold here well, for that, so long. I'll tell you one thing. Not, not anybody we've met who's got a story like Chris's. And we're, right. Chris, we're anxious to get into this. But I just I just want to mention again here. Here you are. You're an award-winning uh, filmmaker. You're an actor, a writer. Uh, and most importantly, you're a man of faith, and that faith has been tested over the years because you've learned how to have hope while your son has gone through, uh, and you've all suffered through mental illness. And what we were surprised to learn is that one in four people uh, are affected by mental disorders, and oftentimes it's the loved ones around them. And maybe even as I'm saying this right now, our listeners are thinking of, yeah, I know so-and-so. But the hard part is like, we just, we just don't know what to do. Uh, we don't know how to bring help and we don't know how to have hope. And you're passionate about helping people through that process. Why, why has this become your mission in life? Because it's touched me so profoundly and deeply personally, I, I have to say. I think that's first and foremost. Not something I would ever have wished for, like it wasn't my career objective um, mm. or even desire. But I guess I am mindful of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he did not want. He said, Father, if it's possible, take it away from me, right? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And it's similar to that, I suppose. Um, not something I wanted or looked for. But I trust, because I trust in God and love him and believe he loves me, that it's according to his will. And so with that certainty and that assurance, forge ahead. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. That's that's the hope right there that we can all forge ahead with. Well, you have um, and, and your family have, have been through it with your son, Daniel. And uh, let's talk a little bit about, I, I guess, the, the mental health label, if you will, that that Daniel um, is is living with right now and that ultimately you guys are all uh, living with. Um you know, not by choice, but uh, by just moving through it. Let's let's hear about um, when you discovered that Daniel had mental health issues and and how it just progressed and where you are today with it. Yes, Daniel was just to give you a quick background. He was an exceptional child. Uh, I mean, from birth, he was he was just a beautiful child. You know what the Apgar is? Uh, something I learned as a new father. He was my firstborn as well. Hmm. And I was just so proud of him. You know, he, everybody loved him. He, he was the, <laughs> the best looking baby in the infirmary there at the hospital, you know, full head of hair, a 10 on the APGAR score or scale or whatever it's called. And I was a new Christian, fairly new Christian at the time. So I was just overjoyed. And I just considered, well, this is part of my inheritance as a Christian and it's, it's all going to be perfect and great things lie ahead. I mapped out his future in detail, as sometimes fathers will do. You know, what sport will he be good at and on and on and on. And he did grow up to be a great athlete, very handsome young man. His siblings, his younger siblings all looked up to him. I loved him. We just would play basketball together. And in his early teens, I want to say around the age of 13 or 14, he began to show signs of rebellion. But I thought, well, teenage rebellion. And there were a lot of issues in our home, sadly, that were somewhat dysfunctional. And I could attribute some of his rebellion to those issues. At least that's what I thought. But when he turned 
17, it became very serious because he began imagining things that were simply not real, hallucinations. Um, the newsman or the weatherman on TV would be talking to him directly, so he thought. Some boys across the street were wanting to fight with him. And they weren't. They weren't even talking about him or thinking about him. And so different kinds of paranoia were manifesting. I, I just didn't, I just wanted to kind of look the other way, I think, and just think, well, he'll get over it. And in fact, he did seem to get over it for about six months. He, he, I called it at the time, oh, he came, he's come back to the Lord. The rebellious behavior is dropped away. Um, he only, he wants to go to church. He's in a Christian school. He's really towing the line. And I thought, oh, thank God I have my son back. But then it just fell apart. And I had no, I had no explanation for it. And eventually, I took him to the hospital. And I'll never forget how the receptionist greeted him. And he was so presentable and so handsome and nice. She just sort of said, well, what are you here for today? You know, just friendly, being friendly. And he clearly wasn't in his right mind, you know. And kind of from that day, He's struggled with mental health, been in the mental health care system, including very long stays at security hospitals. So when he turned 18, uh, and by the way, he, he went, he was admitted that same night to the hospital where I took him. Hey Chris, let me, let me just interrupt for a second. So the, the first go around, um, when you noticed this, what you thought was just rebellion, was he aware that he wasn't functioning the way he normally did? And then even after the second go around and he's at the hospital, did he have any awareness that things just weren't right? As, yeah, I, I'm not sure how deep the awareness was. I think you've heard of people who self-medicate. Mm -hmm. That's a term, self-medication. You know, you don't know what's wrong with you. You're feeling bad. Um, and it help, happens a lot with people suffering mental health disorders. They'll self-medicate. Uh, if they're not on medication, or maybe even if they are on medication, they'll take drugs, you know, and other things like that. So he got into some of that. I'm not sure how deep his awareness was. He was very convinced that these things he, well, that were, I mean, they were cl clearly not real, but he he was quite convinced they they were they were real. So often it's a it's it's a chemical imbalance, right? When we're dealing with mental health, right? <clears throat> And so that when you say they're self-medicating, they're, they're wanting to get their health balanced. Like they're, they're looking for a solution, right? Ultimately, it's just not the, um, the solution that, that solves. So um, as your son has been, you know, dealing with this mental health and, and do we put the label schizophrenia on it or what is? He was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. You could also call that, I think, schizophrenia. Okay. I mean, it's a more precise definition of his diagnosis, but it's related to schizophrenia. Yes. Well, sure. what was your reaction when, when, when you heard the diagnosis, how did you and your wife react to that? Yes, it was terribly, uh, terribly upsetting, unsettling. As I have shared many times, it also was a bit of a call to action for me, but in a, I want to say, and I kind of have to say in a superficial sense that this has been, you asked me earlier, what have been some of my breakthroughs? Um, I think one breakthrough I had early on was that Christianity should not be defined as something superficial 
and just, you know, a quick fix or a guaranteed outcome. I don't think that's part of the Christian life or walk. Apart from heaven, you know, the promise of the resurrection. Yes, those are guaranteed outcomes. But in this life, we will have trials and tribulations. Jesus told us we would, but be of good cheer. So when I heard this news, my response was, well, we, we can handle this. Let's roll up our shirt sleeves and take it on, right? You're a guy. Let's just yeah, go I'm a guy. after We it. fix yeah. things, right? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Nice. So, <laughs> so I can't fix anything around the house, by the way, but we <laughs> I can't change oil in a car, nothing. But anyway. But you sure can make movies and write books. <laughs> I, yeah, I, that, that's been a blessing to be able to do that, but. I, I just felt, well, you know, and here's, by the way, as, as a Christian, I can organize prayer. That was really my first response. Okay, the doctors, and I don't disrespect doctors or the medical profession, but they're telling me one thing. Um, and, and let's just suppose they were telling me, you know, your son has malaria or he has a broken leg or whatever it might be. I'm still going to pray for healing, right? Right. So my instinct was, well, I'm going to pray for healing. <clears throat> and I organized uh, among my friends uh, prayer support. And I began writing updates. Here's how Daniel is doing. Here's, here are the latest developments. Here's what we need to pray for. And I began sending those out by email once a month. And that little nucleus of prayer supporters grew over time into the hundreds. Many people I I never knew personally, but excuse me, excuse me, but they had heard about Daniel through a friend of theirs, perhaps. And so it grew and built over time. And and that's how I happened to put that first book together, uh, Let Me Have My Son, which is essentially a collection of those prayer letters. And of course, if they were just bullet points, pray about this, that, and the other. I guess that wouldn't be a very interesting book, <laughs> but I tended to wax poetic as well and just sort of unburden myself in these letters. And people responded to me and often encouraged me And this community grew. And uh, people said to me, you could, if you write a book, you know, or put these together as a book, you can help people. And so that's ultimately what I did. Well, I love that, Chris, because so often, you know, you hear people say you should be journaling and and going back and seeing how God answered prayers and this and that. Well, you were able to process what you're going through by by praying it out and duking it out with words and because you're a wordsmith and and that's one of your giftings. And so, um, I mean, I would encourage anyone to to journal, but the power of your words and those prayers, I know within that prayer circle has blessed so many. And now that you've written a book and then the the movie, uh, Let Me Have My Son. I mean, Todd and I were in tears with that trailer. It's it's yeah, so well done, Chris. Yeah. So with, with your passion, with everything that you're going through currently and have gone through uh, with Daniel, what is your um, big mission? Because this is not a documentary. This is, this is not, um, you know, a film to, to be, anti this or anti that it's it's what is your full purpose that you want to get across with this film in very simple terms it's to encourage us to love one another i think first and foremost and it grieves me so to think how those who suffer a mental disorder a mental affliction a mental illness how how often are, and how easily they are stigmatized you know pushed aside like just 
could you politely just sort of move mm. off camera? Uh, yeah. We have beautiful people here that we want to feature, <laughs> you know, with happy endings and everything has been just swell, great. And yet, as we know, every human being is made in the image of God, every human being. And that is why, by the way, um, we love children who are born with birth defects or disabilities, right, of one sort or another. We don't, as Christians, certainly, we don't send them off <clears throat> to some camp, Compassion. someplace. We, we, we embrace them. And I will tell you from my own experience, and I have seen this, I've read about this in so many other cases, that when we love, when we extend ourselves and love those who are not so lovely, let's say, we, we, just, we just grow and flower ourselves. And that's the blessing. Because what we're doing in, in that instance is we're giving. And as the Apostle Paul said, it's more blessed to give than receive. And that's a perfect example of it. When you give love, when you give of yourself to those who are hurting, to those who are suffering, to those who are ill, um, and let's say in this case, their caregivers, their family and friends, you're on the crest of the wave, God's wave, you know, and you're, you're, if you think of yourself as a surfer, man, you've caught that wave just perfectly, right? And that's a beautiful thing that happened in your life. That must have so been I a real... want people to, to go out loving. That's what yeah, I, mean. no, that's, yes, I love it. That is dead on, right? Ride the wave of uh, love. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, just thinking I, I'm thinking, Chris, how whether whether someone's dealing with mental illness in their family or or some other we'll call affliction or a challenge, a, a hardship, something painful, uh, it is our it's just our innate response, and that is to let's get this thing fixed. And if we're believers, the expectation is well, God can fix this. And so we set ourselves up, don't we, then, for, <clears throat> for something that we want that may necessarily not happen. And I'm just curious about with you guys, when, when that started to take place, I know that was a process, but uh, did you feel like you'd set yourself up for disappointment? You got people praying, you got an expectation God's going to heal, and yeah. then it doesn't happen. And were you ever how, angry? Yeah, or... how did you walk through that? Yeah, well, you just said the word angry. <laughs> I got angry. I had, I did. I remember on July 4th, the year 2000, Daniel, who uh, was, how old was he then? Let's see, 17. And this great, he was a great athlete. I mean, he, I'm not just saying that because I'm his father. He would easily have played college sports, mm. easily. His basketball coach said he had dollar signs on his feet. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, which I work in the movie, by the way, that line, you know, uh -huh. he had dollar signs on his feet. That's cool. And, but he was having, <clears throat> he was having this breakdown. He was showing these, oh, these just so these distressing signs, you know, of incoherence, instability. And on this particular day, he, uh, it was in the summer, July 4th. He had kind of camped out in a neighbor's yard with our dog. He wasn't doing any harm per se, but he was camped out there in the neighbor's mm -hmm. yard, just sitting in the guy's yard. And this is the United States of America. <laughs> People don't <laughs> usually do that sort of thing or they're viewed askance. Like, you know, what's going on? Over there? <laughs> right. The neighbor comes out and asks him to leave. And he says, no, I'm not leaving. And like, literally get neighbor. Off my the neighbor lawn. calls the cops. Oh my. And the cops come to my house where Daniel comes home. They question him. 
He shows some agitation. They say, you know, we think we need to take you in for an evaluation. Mm. Take him outside. I'm with the policeman. And suddenly he just bolts. And I looked down the street. It was a straight line, the street, a straight, not a curvy street, just straight. One or two in the afternoon, 90 plus degrees. And I see this young man running. And I'm telling you, he looks like an Olympic sprinter, but he's running the wrong way Mm. in the wrong race. I say to me, that's just sort of symbolic as an answer to your question of how I felt that where are you, God, you know, what, what has happened here? And I felt let down, terribly let down, I will admit. But, you know, uh, as somebody has said, God, our Father, he will sometimes <clears throat> have to hold us while we pummel away at him with our little fists. And then when we're sort of spent, we just have to, you know, realize that he has our best interests in heart because he's a father. Have such a tender heart. And you're just a tender soul. I mean, this is just something that we're able to experience immediately. And I would say it's it's the Holy Spirit in you, right? Like I get teary-eyed just seeing you. And and so what are the can you pinpoint the exact ways that, that God has massaged your heart to become more pliable and bigger and love better? A key one was when we relocated to Mexico as a family. And I became Daniel's guardian prior to doing that, his legal guardian, which allowed me to, in a sense, uh, force the state hospital in Virginia to let him go with me. I said, I'm, and I did this deliberately so they would have to let him go. I said, I'm leaving the country. I'm going to go live in another country. Let me have my son. We managed to work it out. We relocated to Mexico. For about five months, he was in a psychiatric hospital there, and then they let him come home. I built, you know, established a home there in Mexico City, and they released him into my care, and he did so well for the next year. He he proved my theorem that my son is not going to get well in your sanitized, hygienic, sterile hospital where he's isolated. He's not even with other patients. They kept him isolated. And uh, I said, let him, let him come with me. And, and the, you know, Mexico, it's a different culture. There's, there's just a more warm, warm culture in many ways. Anyway, the doctor said, we think he should go home with you. He's not well, <laughs> you know, here's some medications, uh, check up every one, you know, every once a week or whatever, make your appointments for visits, but let him, let him go home. And he did, and he did well for a year. Then he had a major relapse which was even worse than anything we had experienced before. And did something trigger that relapse? I still don't really know the answer to that question. Um, Mm -hmm. It could have been that he stopped taking the medication, which he did, that Mm -hmm. set something off. Mm -hmm. But it was was serious, serious. He had to be re-hospitalized. And I, but this is the answer to your question. In that dark time, I remember we had this, we, we, we were renting a house in this lovely part of Mexico in a place near Valle de Bravo and this area with trees and streams it was just a beautiful place. And this house was also beautiful that we were renting. And I was standing in the back of the house under a full moon and watching the stream 
gurgle past. It was just all so beautiful, but my heart was just so heavy and so broken. And uh, But I felt the Lord speak to me in that moment, and he comforted me. The thought of the resurrection. Yes, Daniel is suffering. The suffering may last for years. Yes, he may never get better in this world, in this lifetime. Do you believe in the resurrection, Cristobal? Do you believe in the resurrection? And I said, yes, Lord, I do. From that day on, I've kind of been a different man, I have to say. I mean, there have been the ups and the downs, many, many. I don't fall below the resurrection. It's mm. It's been my mainstay. It's been my anchor ever wow. since. Powerful. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that is so powerful. I, it's, it's like I just want to take time out and just stay there for a while because we might say, you know, we might give that intellectual assent because, uh, because it's just so common for us as Christians to say, well, of course I believe in the resurrection. But to take it deep, deep, deep within your heart uh, like you did, uh, must have done something to strengthen your faith and just change your perspective on things, uh, you know, from temporal to eternal. And I, I just, I want you to encourage somebody right now because maybe they're dealing with a situation inside their family or inside their own life where um, they just, they don't see a way out. And there hasn't been a whole lot of hope that things are going to get any better. And maybe it even seems like the reality is things are going to get worse. Can you just help them somehow try to find that same place that you found, that place of peace and trust uh, and assurance that, you know, God is there and he, he loves them? I would just say, think of yourself as a, a child, a small child. I walked with my granddaughter yesterday. I held her little hand in mine. As big as you may be. <laughs> Your hand is little in the hand of God. He'll carry you through. Don't worry. Put your trust in him. Trust in his goodness. You know, I, the scripture, I think even atheists love to quote this scripture. God is love. If that is true, and the Bible says that about God, so it is true. We can believe that. It is true. How does love act? What does love do? God... <laughs> I, I just also believe <clears throat> that God is at work, and we just see such a small part of what he's doing. And all of these trials, too, that we go through, they're, they're redemptive in so many ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. Yeah, It's the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding. You are just a model, a model you are, you are, I, of, yeah. of how to surrender and to trust. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, you you kind of remind me of, of the apostle Peter too, when, when Jesus preached that sermon where everybody thought, what? He says, I'm, I've come from heaven. I'm the bread of life. We're out of here. And like, <laughs> you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood. We're out of here except the 12. And then, you know, Jesus said, what about you? And Peter says, what, well, where else are we going to go? This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is kind of like you saying like, so what, what, what else do you got? That's better than and, Jesus. Where else are you going to go? And I, <clears throat> I have to tell you, I often thought of the, that story in those verses often still do, but during those dark and difficult days, where else will I go? Where else can I go? It became real to me because I had come from, I did not grow up in a Christian home. 
I never heard of being born again. I literally had not heard of being born again. I think the first time I heard the saying was that Jimmy Carter, when he, uh -huh. he ran for president, became president, said he was born again. I said, what is that? Uh -huh. I literally didn't know what it was. And <clears throat> my, my, I came to Christ through a search for truth uh, that took me through all the world's religions. I was just hunting in my mid-20s, trying to find some purpose in life. And the last holy book I read was the Bible. That's why the word of God is very special to me because, it, well, it saved me, really. I mean, uh, to me, it was like a, a life preserver that had been tossed overboard to a drowning man. I was the drowning man. And I held on to this, this Bible and it just became my guide to read. So, so as you were reading God's word, um, it, it, is that when you receive Christ? I mean, was it just reading his word? Was it going to a church? Was it someone around you that, that shared God's It was truth? both, but mm -hmm. it started off reading, um, which interestingly, I, I wasn't even reading the Bible um, so much as in the sense of searching for something as much as I was reading the Bible to do research, research mm -hmm. for a screenplay I was writing. Ah, interesting. <laughs> That's great. Uh, that's why I was actually reading the Bible at the time. And it was the story that was being developed that I was developing into a screenplay was a true story. So I was doing research. I was in Australia doing research in the story and the life of these people from the 1940s and 1950s and discovered the main character had been a Christian, uh, carried a Bible around. And so I bought a Bible just for my research. Fascinating. Um, and I love read the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought, "Whoa! <laughs> so wow! Oh, uh, so God, He just snuck up on you, didn't He? Huh? Took you by surprise. Hey, check this out, Chris. <laughs> and I'll tell you, if we have a minute, I'll tell you that at that same time, reading that it was a King James Bible I bought in a Christian Science reading room. Oh, really? Yeah, in Adelaide, <laughs> Australia. <laughs> I saw it on advertisement in their display window. They had a Bible there. I said, well, I need to buy one. I'll go buy one. So that's where I bought my Bible. And then I'm holding this and reading the Psalms because this main character was would sing in public and he would sing Psalms. And I said, well, I'll create some song lyrics here. I'll go you know, <laughs> cut and paste and <laughs> create some lyrics for my this script. Great. Won't you, don't, you know, wouldn't you know that? wait a minute, what's over here? Oh, I've kind of heard of that, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I read that. And then I read in Ecclesiastes. Now, some people say, well, Ecclesiastes shouldn't be in the Bible. It's too pessimistic. <laughs> but it spoke That's to this great. guy, to me. because yeah. yeah, was real life. I was, that was real life. And that was kind of described me, you know, and said, wow, this is in the Bible. So, it, but yeah. I eventually also did start to go to a church. And that was in Staten Island, New York. I was living at the time, and and then um, after about a year, when I first bought that Bible, about a year later, I finally gave my life to Jesus. I love that. Great story. Yes, his story is, a. I mean, the words just pop off the page, and they're alive and well today. Um, okay, so I have to ask this coming from just females want to know, like, what what is what did your wife, how does she handle all of this as the mother of your child, right? My first wife uh, also suffered from mental illness, and I'm sorry to say, you know, the marriage ultimately did not survive. So, my Cheryl, my my wife, current wife, 
uh, has been very supportive and a real trooper. She's also very close to Daniel. So it's been a challenge, but I can thank God that I have a supportive wife Amen. Yes. now. And, and my first wife, I, you know, I pray for her and she is doing okay now or doing better, but it's, it's, you know, she struggles. Let's just yeah. put it that way. Uh, you know, I mean, it's real evident that your your life has been marked by uh, pain points, but rather than get, uh, you know, crusty and hard and, uh, you, you know, and bitter and angry, you've gone the other direction of allowing God to use those hardships to develop a deep, deep personal faith and trust and love. And uh, this is God's intent for everybody who goes through difficult times. And it's not it's it's not the easiest thing to do. Just snap your fingers and say, "Okay, I'll I'll, I'll take this path instead of that path." But I, I I'm just wondering right now if there might be somebody listening, thinking, you know, I've I've kind of had it up to here with all the pain and suffering. Like I like I'm mad at God, and I and I I don't know how to get to where I hear Chris is at. I I just don't know where where's the line I step over. What do I do to start letting go of my anger and my bitterness and start accepting this and well, pray, first of all, and ask God, if, you, if you're sincere in wanting to change, start with a prayer and ask God to help you get there because it's something you want. So let's start with that. Let him, and by the way, also, let, your, let it all out. <laughs> the, I like to look at the Psalms. The Psalms are, I have called the movie, in fact, Let Me Have My Son, like a psalm of lament. It, it's a psalm of mourning, of grieving, of lament, lamentation. That does not take God by surprise, by the way. And if we look at the psalmist, right, David, and the other psalmists who wrote, they're often pouring out their lament. So I would say don't try to hide or pretend that you're not hurting. Be honest about it and take it to God and ask him sincerely if he will help you overcome it. And then story come to bump. As the Jamaicans say, because what will likely happen is that God will give you, uh, he'll, he'll start to answer your prayer by putting people in your life that will challenge you, I think, to be more loving and to be more tender, mm -hmm. to be kinder, to be more forgiving. And then you have the choice at that point, live as Christ and, you know, to, to forgive, to be kind and so forth. That's why said earlier that my my hope and my prayer following the film you know for people who watch the film is that they will come out of that experience um you know with a desire to to love the unlovely to love the hurting someone who suffers from mental illness is not necessarily an easy person to get along with right not at all so who was the I hope you're editing this because I don't know. No, how we're works. not. This is oh, good, okay. Chris. We well, love it all. We love all of it. He he was the, his name escapes me, but he's so famous because he wrote these devotions. He was a Dutch theologian and he ended up toward the end of his life um, taking care of a disabled man. Oh, uh, Henry Nouwen. Yes. Thank H Henry Nouwen. Yeah. Henry Nouwen. Yes. Uh, to Henry Nouwen. I would like to emulate that approach. Mm. You know, just when we stop and think that God came down from heaven to live in this in a human body, right? I've heard somebody compare it to 
God, you know, becoming an ant to live among the ants. And the ants don't begin to comprehend where he came from or what he gave up to become like one of them. They can't even begin to comprehend it, right? I don't think we can begin to comprehend what Christ gave up to come on earth. But he came and he lived among us as one of us. And who did he who did he spend time with? Embrace and reach out to. Well, there was a little tax collector up in a tree that nobody liked. They all despised Zacchaeus. He embraced the leper that no one would go near. Right? He he made his closest friends fishermen and you know <laughs> other people. He he was least likely and, became the most likely with him. Yeah, he, he didn't <laughs> live in an ivory tower, right? Yeah. So be prepared if you're serious about wanting to have your heart tender toward other people, be prepared, be prepared to weep and cry. You know, I, I have to say, I'm so sorry. So I, I cry. I, I think I cry too easily. You know, I, 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 I think uh, it's beautiful. But, uh, yes. uh, it's just the way I am, I guess. But I also think that there was another theologian, Frederick Buchner, who spoke about your tears. He said, pay attention to your tears, pay attention to the things that, without you thinking, cause you to just become emotional and cry and trace them back, follow them. Where do those, where do those tears come from? Because if you can follow back to the source, to the spring, what caused those tears to come forth, you'll find the deep things of God. Wow. Oh, oh man, that is so good. Right there, right wow. there. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, the, a drop the mic. Yeah. Thank you for sharing oh, that, that, Chris. Yeah. That's very profound. Oh, we, I could listen to you all day. I mean, you're just so just deep in, in God's love and you're just such a wordsmith and, and you just have such passion. And I just, I thank you for being so bold and courageous and sharing your personal story with let me have my son. Um, and so with, with Daniel, we all are probably curious or those that are listening uh, to the, to the program, how is Daniel right now? Well, I have a great report uh, to give <clears throat> everybody about Daniel. He's been doing so much better. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, we, we moved to Minnesota because they have better health care in Minnesota than most states in America, and including in the mental health area. While it's been sad that he has had to be institutionalized in, here in Minnesota these last 12 years, it's also been a blessing because he's been, he's not on the street. He's not wandering around lost. Um, He's being taken care of. You know, if you were to have asked me nine years ago, eight years ago, when he's getting out, I would have just been quiet probably and said, well, we're, we don't know. We're just praying. But now, after he's been in the hospital for 12 years, he's right on the verge of being discharged and released into a, uh, a group home wow. in Minnesota, probably about 20 minutes away from where we're living now. Wow. Oh, hallelujah. That's great news. <laughs> yeah. And he does appear with me at the very end of the film. Um, we filmed him, he and me together at the hospital. Uh, yeah, we, saw, we saw some clips of that. And, I, and, yeah. I, and what is he about? He's about 40 now, just about. Yes, he yeah. just turned 40. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. Turned 40. And he is. Still a, a very guy. handsome dude. I'll tell you. And man, he loves his baby. You could just see the warmth and the love when you guys embrace. That just gives me goosebumps. Yeah, so good. So well, what a great report. Thank you. Well, we 
yeah, we just thank you for having the courage uh, to share your personal story because I know it's yeah. going to be a blessing to so many that see it that you know may be dealing with someone with mental illness, but maybe not. Maybe it'll just help them in their own affliction that they're going through because there's hope to to be found in this in this film and so this film um you know this uh podcast is released on may 30th but your film is being released on actually world schizophrenia day which is may 24th and so you can go to let me have my son.com and watch this incredible incredible film online wherever you are so we invite you to do that so Thank you, Chris, so very much. Um, as as we wrap up, um, Todd, do you have a, maybe a final question you'd like to ask Chris? Yeah, well, he probably isn't going to know how to answer this. Oh, yeah? I could answer it for him probably. Okay. <laughs> but if, if when are were, we all going to lunch? You know, That's the question. You are, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, you are a wordsmith. I just, just love the way in which you have let God use your talents to be a storyteller in, in word and film. Um, but if there was a word or a phrase that could sum up the entirety of who you are. I still would like it to be my, uh, I meant to say on my, on my tombstone. My, yeah. What would be my epitaph? Yeah. yeah. My epitaph would be, I, th- I would say still, um, if I am remembered, may I be remembered as the servant of God. That comes from Moses, the that servant of God. Mm. Yes. And I believe the Bible says that Moses was, one of the most humble men that had ever lived. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so ever since I read that, and remember I read the whole Bible cover to cover before I became a Christian, I said, I'm not going to pray that sinner's prayer you talk about until I read the whole book. <laughs> yeah. I read the whole book. Yeah. And yeah, you did it. Before, and then I yeah, eventually gave my life uh-huh. to Christ. Well, but I remember when I first read that about Moses, he was this great leader, but he was so humble mm-hmm. and he was the servant of God. And that's how I would like to be. Remembered. Well, indeed, you are. And your, your life exemplifies that. Yes. And remember, too, Moses, uh, you know, is just basically kind of, you know, lifted up into heaven. So uh, if he's your hero, who knows what God has for you? There might not be a tombstone. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I, I do think as a filmmaker, and I hope and pray that I'm now in the final third of my life that will be possibly the most productive part of my life yes like yeah. Moses yes. lived to be 120 and he had 40 40 40 yeah. and i so here yeah. i am i guess all right final all right. third we're with you on that we're one. with you on thank that you. one yes uh, well we thank god for you thank you for your time on the podcast today and i know that uh let me have my son will be a blessing hmm. to everyone that watches so uh, those of you listening, go to letmehavemyson.com. Do not miss it. Thank you for your time, Chris. God bless you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Have Thank a great you. day. Wow. Like, uh, I'm, I was like a crybaby. I know. Well, thing. Like, so oh. see if you get a chance to see this oh, on YouTube. He's so precious. He's a, he's a handsome elderly man that's got a rugged <laughs> look about him. He may not say elderly. Like well, I'm elderly. Like, come I can on. say elderly to those who are, are about my age. He had, look, he, look, here's he has, the here's the reality. Anybody over 55 is kind of elderly. That's okay. the way it is. That's not a negative term. I'm just saying he's he's a handsome, weathered man who's very <laughs> now you're saying weathered. You know what, Chris? We're so sorry oh, for hearing uh, this wrap up. No, no he's, he's we, like a model for me. I mean, amazing. I, I just, and, it, and he's he's tearing up because it's it's like for real. It's, it's because it's his heart is so Holy tender. Spirit. I kept thinking. 
God, I want a heart that tender, but, mm-hmm. but I don't want to have to get it the way he did. Ooh, I mean, who does, right? right? Reminds yeah. me of, uh, I think it's A.W. Tozer had the quote, you know, God cannot use greatly. God can use greatly those whom he has hurt deeply. Yeah. Wow. Something along that line. <clears throat> and the reality is the pain and the suffering has got a good outcome if we'll put God in the center of it. Mm-hmm. So we know that this show blessed you again, make sure you go to let me have my son.com and go watch the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's important that you watch it. Not just if you have someone and you know, that needs mental health, you know, it'll expand your ability to love, to to love others. Exactly. And that's the whole message that Chris wants to get across is to love, love well. So thank you for tuning in. Make sure you share this episode with others because it's a good one, but we will catch you same time, same place on your biggest breakthrough. Take care. Head on over to yourbiggestbreakthrough.com where you'll find some free resources and information and a place where you can comment and we would love to dialogue with you there. So thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.